Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burnorangenation.com. Before we jump in, though, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps a ton with visibility. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, anybody that you know is into Texas Longhorn sports. My name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And before I introduce our special guest, I am joined by the man, the myth, the legend, White Iverson himself, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing today? Uh, White Iverson's a good uh, a good intro. I, I crossed myself over this weekend, just back from a bachelor party uh, in Las Vegas. Congratulations to Colin for uh, getting everyone, not only engaged, but getting everyone to Vegas and back in one piece. So I am here somewhere um, almost to 100%, but I, I'm energized for our uh, our talk coming up, so I'm feeling pretty good. Awesome. So I teased a little bit off the top. We've got a special guest. The NFL draft is right around the corner. So we actually have the honor and privilege of two Kyles on today's podcast. We have uh, Kyle Krabs of NDT Scouting in the building with us today. Kyle, thank you so much for taking some time out. Uh, I know it's late in PA. So thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. Listen, this is still early based off of uh, all this draft preparation over the last like six, eight months that I've been working on. So 10 p.m. is like... (laughs) gravy man it's not it's not late until we're talking a.m. once the, the clock flips over i appreciate that I'm, I'm like an old married man with a kid so like i'm like ah man <laughs> 11 is a little 9 30 it's it's a struggle start crawling to bed towards 9 30 just a brief introduction. Uh, so, Kyle, you uh, you are the lead, uh, got a scout, the lead talent analyst for NDT Scouting, uh, and you just put out your uh, 2018 prospectus for what, what I feel like is an exhaustive list of everybody that's draft eligible for this year. So how, how long have you been doing that, and kind of how did you get into that kind of business? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting journey, right, because it how do you become qualified to have a voice in this, this field? Um, I played in high school. I got hurt, did not have the opportunity to play in college. So I switched over to coaching. I coached high school level, uh, for the first two years that I was in college at Penn state. And, um, the work-life balance really wasn't there. And, you know, I knew I wasn't done with the game, but couldn't play, couldn't coach. Uh, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. So, Every October, I'm sitting here wondering who the top college prospects are because Dolphins are out of the running, so I'm used (laughs) to looking at players for the draft, and uh, that was kind of the next natural progression for me as I banked on my my playing experience, my coaching experience, kind of developed that eye for the game and the scouting part of it. You know, you can stay up late and and do it as you need to. You can use it on the weekends, whatever you got to do, so um, that was kind of how I got into scouting and um, started a blog back in 2013 in the fall and kind of picked up steam. And, you know, my initial intent was, you know, I'd love to work into a front office position someday and media doors just kept opening over and over and over again. And it just really grew and got to this point where I got a great team of of six guys that work with me at NDTscouting.com. And uh, we did a live stream last year online for days one and two of the draft where, you know, we were live on the air for, nine hours of a video. So it's been a really cool experience over the course of the last five years, kind of seeing just what was a pet project. Apparently people like what I have to say. Um, like to like to think that as you do it more, you get a better grasp of what works, what doesn't, what you need to adjust. Um, 
you know, I've been doing it long enough now that I can go back and look at some of my first draft classes and learn from mistakes in those areas. And that, that's been very helpful for me as well. So it's, it's all part of the uh, growing with the game. And, you know, when, when it's done with me, I guess I'll know, but it's not yet. You, you rated this year. I, I, 300 plus guys I think was was yeah. the number I saw on the on the prospectus. Yeah, so we me and my partner Joe Marino who's my number 2 at NET scouting, we finalized a watch list of 300 guys and we each wrote 300 reports on all of those players. So that's one of the things that I really like about what we do is you get two guides with 300 reports and you can hold them up next to one another and see what I think versus what Joe thinks. A lot of the other draft resources that are out there they kind of just pull up a player and it gives you this is who this player is but you know every single player is kind of a Rorschach test where you're going to see something different than the guy that's sitting next to you even if you guys have similar (laughs) appeals or values to players so we kind of try to play that to our strengths and say look we got two guys crazy enough to write 300 scouting reports and and put that together so why don't you guys get to see all of our work and all of our notes and then that way If a player hits or a player misses, you'll know exactly what we saw and exactly why we hit or miss with our projection of the player. I'll just say I've opened up uh, I've opened up college syllabus and and people's college theses that were uh, that were a tenth of what you did when I when I first opened up the uh, the prospectus. Like I was just overwhelmed and I just couldn't stop smiling. I was like, I love 2018 that a man has a passion, finds something he wants to do, pours his heart, mind, soul into it and out comes. 400 pages of PDF of in-depth analysis uh, across the the entire college football landscape, which I think is just incredible. We brought you on the podcast for for a specific reason, you know, not to not to just talk about how awesome your product is, which it is. Like it's it's phenomenal. <laughs> it's a great value. Twenty bucks. Like, are you sure? Are you sure? I'm I'm enjoying the conversation now. This is great. <laughs> oh man. Well, I I will say like it's it's a it's a twenty buck investment, which is not bad at all. Like I was I mm-hmm. didn't bat an eye at that. But we brought you on today to talk some uh, some Texas players in the draft. It's a uh, it's an interesting year for for Texas fans. We had a lot of players leave early, not yeah. something that Texas fans are used to. And so let's just let's just start at the top. Uh, I when I opened up the your your document, the first thing I saw was that you know you got Connor Williams as the third player on your big board, which doesn't yeah. necessarily line up with some of the other uh, analysis out there. So you know what are you what are you seeing from him that maybe everybody else is is missing, or what are you seeing from him that you like that that maybe nobody else is seeing. I think we did this last year with Cam Robinson, too, where Cam Robinson was a top 10 player on my draft board and was a consensus top tackle for a vast majority of the process. And then we kind of overthought some of his, his technical deficiencies and he th- thought he had inability to, to cover for those technical deficiencies when he got to the next level. But if you look at what he was as a player yeah. and where he ended up going in Jacksonville, just a perfect marriage of strengths versus the strengths of the offense. So for Connor, you know, zone zone blocking system style for him, uh, really loved the way that his balance and, and his ability to control his lower half when he's engaged with defenders, he always has the ability to drop the foot or adjust the hips or bend the knees and stay balanced. It's that recovery balance for him that really stood out for me as a really great plus trait. I know some people have some apprehension about his arm length, citing 33-inch arms, but it's above the baseline. So if if you're above 32 and a half, you can play offensive tackle and play it at a high level in the NFL. So I don't have any concerns about that. Um, I know some people that I, I really respect prefer him inside at guard, and I think you could certainly play him at guard. 
and he could be successful there. But uh, with a player like this who's played left tackle and played it so well, I would play him outside in, give him the opportunity to play left tackle first. And if it doesn't turn out well, you always know you can kick him inside and his short area movement skills, his ability to reset the line of scrimmage, those things are going to show up in a really plus way as a guard as well. Well, and, and Texas fans saw probably the the other top talent at that position in consecutive years when we played Notre Dame. Um, do you see the gap between Williams and, and Mike McClinchy to be pretty close? If you're a GM, can you can you really go either way and, and feel pretty good about yourself? Yeah, I think McGlinchey's going to appeal to the NFL much more because he's more prototypical. I think he, you see a lot of times the, the prototypes. I mean, that's why right. Josh Allen's a thing, right? He's 6'5 with a cannon arm. It's his prototype. So we're going to put him up on that pedestal. Um, I I like McGlinchey a lot. He's my 11th rated player this year. I uh, think he can play left tackle, but he's played on both sides of the line of scrimmage, so he's got some appeal there. Uh, I, I just wrote a mock draft for FanRag Sports that's publishing uh, on Monday, and I, I slotted him 10th to Oakland. Okay, really think he's a, a good fit there because – Donald Penn's holding down the left side, and he's getting up there in age, but you could flip him over, play him on the right-hand side, and then if you wanted to bump him over to the blind side once Donald Penn is decides it's time to hang him up, you could do that. But as far as his, the, the strengths and differences versus Connor, yeah, I mean, Mike's got the super long arms, and I actually thought Connor Williams was more smooth in his pass set, but Mike McGlinchey's just so much bigger long, and longer yeah. that he naturally covers some more space in his pass set. So that, that's kind of where you, you get away with the prototype a lot of times with the long-arm guys, and that's the appeal of having the length. You didn't see anything, um, and sorry to keep harping on Connor, he's just a favorite player of mine, and I, I'm very excited. I hope GMC see what you see, but you didn't see anything with the injuries that you know made you pause or just kind of a, a one year of really dominant play uh, at the college level that, that you know doesn't project quite as well as some would hope? I would say this. I mean, if you look at a lot of the potential first-round prospects this year, Jair Alexander's one. Harold Landry's another. These guys had elite tape in 2016. They didn't have elite tape last year because they got banged up. Mm. So, I mean, that elite talent doesn't go away. It's just, okay, you know, there's a set of conditions here that that prevented him from playing at that level. And for Connor, no, he didn't have a great game against Maryland, right, in the beginning of the year, and then he got hurt. And I love the fact that he came back. Would have been really easy to pull like a Miles Jack out right, of UCLA right. a couple years ago. And I mean, he had the same injury towards meniscus. And he decided he was going to transition directly into pre draft training. And Connor didn't do that. He came back and fulfilled his commitment to the team. And I, I think that's a great mark on his character that he chose to do that. And yeah, he's a little rusty, but uh, I, I'm weighing the 2016 tape right. more than the injured 2017 tape because I think that's an accurate depiction of the player that you're going to get. And the same could be said for Harold Landry, who's probably going to be a top 15 pick from Boston College. Uh, people were down on him, but if you go back to last summer, people are talking about him like they've given him the highest. Like NFL scout, oh. Anonymous NFL scouts were quoted saying he's the highest senior assessment we've given out in the last 10 years. And then, right. and then you don't hear about Harold Landry, and then he goes to the, the NFL Combine. And he runs four or five something and really explosive numbers. And it reminds you of where he is. So, I mean, the, the tape slips off, but the, the traits don't go anywhere and the skill doesn't go anywhere. You mentioned mock. So where should, where should fans expect Connor to come off the board? It depends on if teams are coveting him at, at guard. I know some teams do have him at guard. I know some teams do have him at tackle. But uh, the tackle group is, is pretty lean up top as far as the general consensus. I like the offensive tackle group. I think you can find starters and 
there's a drought and and a real scarcity of starting offensive ta- young offensive tackle. So that's why I have some names a little bit more non-traditional, a little bit higher up on my personal big board. But uh, I think a safe projection for Connor is anywhere between probably 15 and 30, maybe the the first eight picks or so of the second round. Kind of, kind of where Cam Robinson ended up going, right? Where he, I think he went like 34 to Jacksonville. Um, I think New England would make a lot of sense. You know, they, they got like Adrian Waddle there playing left tackle right now. New England loves to bulk up on, on the trenches on both sides of the football. They've got two picks between 23 and 31. Uh, th- that's a spot that I, I, I pegged them in one of those spots in my mock draft. But uh, I would say mid to late first round is probably most likely the landing spot. And we like to talk about some of the guys on this Texas team. We'll get to another one in a little bit with Puna Ford, but just some guys who we think are going to make GMs look smart. And I think if Connor Williams goes where you're saying, even if he slips into that second round, that he's going to make some GM look really, really smart. So let's let's shift to the other side of the ball because most of the Texas guys, you know, coming out this year are on the defensive side of the ball, and you know, Texas fans are are rabid for Malik Jefferson, <laughs> and you know we raved about him on this podcast we raved about him in in our articles and he was kind of one of the most explosive guys on on a pretty solid Texas defense you have him uh rated as a, a kind of a third round guy potential starter in year two so from your perspective you know we're we're rabid yeah. college fans we just see you know what he did in college the explosive plays there what is what's kind of the missing pieces from him uh, that's separating him from these guys that are going earlier that are rated ahead of him on your board Sure, and the uh, the apprehension for for Malik is that he never really showed a lot of growth between the ears, as far as his play play diagnosis skills and, and anticipation. He was odd though. I, I I remember back to Oklahoma State. I thought mm-hmm. he played like a stud in that game. And and typically, you know, when you, when you have guys with the slow processor, the more they're spaced out, the more they space you out, and the more ground you have to cover. The slower you move, the more reactionary you are. That was actually one of his better games as far as processing stuff at the mesh point and, and reading, pulling offensive linemen. So mm. he's a hard study that way. But uh, he's got all the traits athletically that you look for. My comp for him is Philip Wheeler, uh, linebacker. He's played for nine years in the NFL. He bounced around a couple different teams and started for a bunch of teams. And I think he challenged for triple-digit tackles a couple times. So I like him. I think he can be a, a quality starting player in the NFL. But uh, – you got to hope that the anticipation speeds up a little bit for him. Otherwise, he's a half second too late kind of trying to shoot into mm-hmm. some of these gaps, and he'll miss some tackles. Yeah, He'll get there because he's athletic, but he's not in a really sound, balanced position to finish the play. So that's the main apprehension I have with Malik. And I think what we saw at Texas was his freak athleticism. I think everything you said is, is some of the frustrations we had just uh, – with the whole team at times, but uh, with Malik in general, where do you where do you see him best positioned? Because I think you're right, his athleticism is is elite. Um, mm-hmm. Is it is it an edge rusher? I don't think it's in the middle. Where do you where do you see him projecting out? I'd like to see him as a four three will guy that's kind of put away from the strength of the offensive formation. You put him on the backside of that, and eight times out of ten, he's going to be scraping across the top of the play, and you're just asking to, to pursue the football. I thought that was consistently where he was as at his best as a rally defender when he's just hustling to the football and closing from the back end. Uh, you can play him up, I think, and get him some rush reps, and he'll have some value there because he's he fits the, the mold of a guy that can walk up on the edge of the line of scrimmage and get, get offensive tackles hands off him and duck back inside and be a stun player that's really effective in those areas. So I think that will help him have three-down value 
where if he didn't have the rush ability and the, the first step explosiveness and you, you weren't quite sure if he was going to be able to contribute consistently on passing downs, then, then you might have a really limited player. Uh, I think he's got a certain set of conditions that if a defensive coordinator is willing to meet it, you can keep him on the field for all three downs, and that's big for him. Most of his wow plays, his pop plays this year, was when he was you know two, three yards away and had to close with his athleticism. So I think that is definitely something that, that I'm I'm glad that is noticed. Oh, for sure. That, that closing burst and that acceleration into tackles is one of his best traits for sure. There's no doubt. Staying on defense, you know, throughout the season – the, the defensive backs at Texas were one of the highlights everybody talked about. You know, these, this is probably one of the more talented groups in the conference. Um, and one of the guys that stood out early on was Deshaun Elliott. You know, he was yeah. another big play guy at Texas, got fans excited. He, uh, you know, early, got a, capitalized really opportunistically on some overthrown balls uh, early in the season and, and maybe inflated his uh, his interception numbers got fans really excited so realistically you know again we we're a, we're a podcast fan podcast right uh, so realistically what should fans expect from a guy like Deshaun Elliott going to the next level maybe even a year early some people think yeah um, I was surprised Deshaun decided to come out but um... He's got some really nice flashes on tape. Um, USC game, a couple gift-wrapped balls thrown his way, right, and made him pay. And I thought it was interesting that there was a narrative around Deshaun that he couldn't run, that he, that he, that he was slow. I didn't think he was slow. He, he's a very big body back there playing free safety a lot of times, and he ran about what I expected. I think it was high four fives, like four six maybe, some, somewhere in that range. And... um. I think his his ideal role would probably be as a robber, like a, a traditional strong safety can kind of, you know, in nickel packages and whatnot, drop down, be a linebacker contributor in the box and coverage. And But from a coverage perspective, I don't want him in deep middle. I don't think he has the range to play you no know, numbers to numbers as a guy that's isolated in the middle of the field, especially in an aggressive defense that's going to implement a lot of press coverage because if you got your corners whiffing, he's not going to be able to close the gap there. So uh, playing him in the intermediates between 10 to 15, 20 yards, but not further than 20 yards as far as his primary responsibility and just kind of let him sit in the middle of the field and, and try and hunt, you know, routes in the middle of the field and kind of attack and collision those. And if it's, you know, some of your shorter routes, He's going to have the opportunity to make plays on the ball if he's sitting there uh, with with an inaccurate throw or a batted pass, and I think that's probably his best recipe in coverage to have success. But uh, I mean, you put him in the box and, and ask him to contribute against the run game or supplementary tackler, uh, he, he's going to pop you. I really like his ability to hit. Yeah, he gets up, but I think when you think as a Texas fan, some of the safeties we've had, and one that comes to mind when you're saying what he isn't like an Earl Thomas, for instance, right? We had the true, the true center fielder free safety back there. Um, Do you think that that's a part of his game that Deshaun ever develops or is he the type of guy who with speed is what it is? He's always kind of in this box right here. Is that something that you coach in or is that just natural? I mean, if you're looking for a high end projection for him, you can look to like Rashad Jones with the Miami Dolphins, uh, a guy that came out of Georgia and he was a, a fair athlete as far as his athletic profile, but where Rashad's really been able to develop at my, in Miami and, and become a really good football player is, um, yeah. you know, they give him a lot of half field responsibilities as far as deeper coverage, 
and the route recognition and peripheral vision for him is what allows him to consistently drift into the pathway of the football. So continuing to develop that route recognition and and anticipation and understanding of how an offense is trying to manipulate you with their route stems, uh, if he can build up in that area, then, yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable. I think he's a good enough athlete to – to get some reps in cover two in deeper half of the, of the field and, and can be tasked to, to do that reliably. So sticking with guys that maybe should have another year in college, but a guy like Holton Hill who came out, seems like that indefinite oh, suspension man. maybe pushed him out the door a little sooner than, uh, than fans thought. Um, you know, when you see a guy like that on the draft board who has a ton of talent but probably could have used another year in school, had the character things that popped up, you know, as an evaluator, as a, as a you know, coach or as a, you know, a GM making those decisions, how, how does that affect his position on your board and then what does that do to him you know, as a, a draftable talent? First of all, Holton Hill is probably the best tackling defensive back in the class, regardless of safety, corner, I don't care. He is a beast. If he's, if he's clicking and closing on you in the flats, he's going to blow you up, and I love that about his game. So it's a shame that you have some of these really significant off-the-field questions and uh, I, at the NFL Combine this year, you know, you, you hear a little bit of buzz about it and uh, nobody really has any concrete evidence of anything off the field, so it's all kind of just, you know, you acknowledge that it's there, but you, right. you don't go public with it because you don't want to be the one that irresponsibly puts somebody out there that may or may not be true. So NFL teams and their vetting processes are going to have much more definitive answers than what we do on the outside looking in. So with somebody like that, you know, he's way too talented to, to drop too far. I think if you're playing cover two zone and you want him to collision routes in the flats, he has some really excellent reps this year as far as collisioning routes, carrying the stem vertically, flipping his eyes back inside, seeing the next route coming into his area and dropping back off and attacking the football. Really, really good and disciplined in cover two. Uh, I think you can develop him as a press man corner as well to turn and run. Uh, he he fits that profile and that mold, and the, the NFL loves big corners right now. So yeah, he's six two two what two hundred two oh five. Yeah, easy. I mean, you see him yeah. in person; he just looks big. I mean, he looks like a he looks like a strong safety or even like a small linebacker sitting there. He's just he's one of those guys you see him and stand next to him. You keep looking up; he feels bigger than he is even. So uh, as far as the how you weigh the character versus the off the field. I think of a player like Randy Gregory, right? Randy Gregory from Nebraska a couple years ago was considered a potential top 10, top 15, top 20 pick. Ended up going 60th overall to the Dallas Cowboys. I think that's a little early, earlier than what you'll see Holton Hill go because he's more of a scheme-specific prospect. Hmm. He's, a, he's a guy that has to play a lot of cover two zone right away. He's going to need coaching and development and his press man technique. So I think end of day two, beginning of day three, beginning of day three, if you're able to target a player like him on like the, the first couple picks in round four, it's worth the risk. Because if he's able to keep his head on strike, if you keep structure around him and keep him out of trouble, you got a chance to, to land a really effective starter in the middle rounds of the draft, and you just don't see that kind of hit rate all that frequently. I'd love to. I'd love to see him to go to a team that has a very strong locker room presence, some yeah. some more mature guys that can get his head on straight. You, you we see success stories and with groups like that. Put him in San Francisco. 
Let them learn from Richard Sherman. I love it. That's like, like yeah. that's, I mean, let's go. You're speaking our language here. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so a guy that, that we have been like ride or die for on, on this podcast is Puna Ford. We, we love him on, yeah, as, as a, again, as a rabid college fan, maybe not necessarily analyzing him as a uh, draft prospect, but, you know, based on everything you see, everything we're reading, your prospectus, you know, it seems like it's, it's not a motor thing. It's more of a physical tools thing that he's just he's just not quite there um you know what you know what can he do as a as a player to kind of make make people forget about his size you know he seems like he did it on the field a little bit uh, and you have some of that in your analysis but what can a guy like Puna Ford do to really improve his his um his stature for lack of a better term sure uh first of all Puna not getting a combine invite was the crime of the century thank you it's unacceptable thank you I remember <laughs> I was having a debate with some colleagues about Puna because Puna was down at the Shrine game, and one of our guys was down there at the Shrine game, and they were like, yeah, I really, I really like Puna Ford. And another guy that was sitting in the room and was like, dude, I watched him on film. He didn't do anything. So we, we were at the Senior Bowl. There was probably 10 of us, and we pulled up Texas defense, all 22, and we're sitting there watching it, and we just went nuts against USC. He was all over the place, and he's a blast to watch. So – What's what's the ceiling of a player like this, right? So he's he's not really going to hold a lot of three-down value for you. I don't think he's ever going to be a pass rusher and have any consistency in that area. But what he does is he can play hashes to hashes as a two-gap defender, and he can eat blocks, keep your linebackers free. I would say uh, Malik Jefferson owes Puna Ford yes. a fair amount yeah. For for the work that Puna did to make sure that Malik had free pathways to the football. That was absolutely going to be my next point was to just see that because Gerald and I have talked about that a lot. Is, is this defense being as stellar as it was and having as many guys in this conversation? I think a lot of that begins and ends with Puna Ford setting the line, getting, you know, just eating up blocks, freeing linebackers, uh, getting pressure, just, you know, doing everything that maybe the casual fan doesn't sing and doesn't, doesn't, doesn't see every day, but if you really watch, he's just, he's huge, you know, figuratively, if not literally. He fits all of those stereotypes, like the blue collar, lunch pail, dirty work. That's Puna Ford. And there's value for that. You know, I think of a guy yeah. like Bo Allen for the Philadelphia Eagles out of Wisconsin. Uh, really sloppy build. Like you see him and you're like, oh, this guy, like this guy's going <laughs> to stuff up the A gaps. But he gets the job done. And that's where Puna uses his stature to his advantage, being under six feet tall. Is, is he so yeah. squatty and his center of gravity so low that it's difficult for guys to get up underneath of his blocks or underneath of his pads. So, and, and Bo just signed a nice free agent contract uh, this year after four years in the league with Philadelphia. So you see that there is a value there for that, but that's never going to be a position that gets valued highly in the draft because we got, just got done talking about the, the NFL cares about your prototypes. Sure. And if it, if you're going to be a, an early top fifty, top sixty pick, you got to fit the prototype mold. And if you don't, that's how good players get had later in the draft. And I think that's right. what you're going to see with Puna Ford. So uh, one guy we didn't see on your your big board that maybe uh, fans of the podcast may be interested in is uh, is Michael Dixon. Have you ever rated a punter, and what what would be the highest grade you would give a guy like that? Yeah, so I got burned. He was 2016. I put the the Utah punter in Tom Hackett, oh. and he like like he was like a cult sensation, like rugby style. Like he averaged like fifty yards a punt at Utah and whatnot. 
and like he couldn't even stick with the Jets. And I said, forget this, man. I'm not. I'm not doing this. I'm not going to see her and grade the spin of the ball off your foot and you know the angles on your drops and all this nonsense. Yeah. It's just yeah, good for you. Get the hang time. You know, put it in your designated area and let your coverage team cover the kick. But but honestly, you know, I I, I like the Rams because there's a couple Longhorns on the Rams. And I just think it's a fun team, and I, I watch them. I don't want to say the most this year, but just a team I watch more than I should have. And uh, I kept seeing their punter uh, Hecker, Johnny Hecker, um, yeah. just do incredible stuff. Like really, I mean, it's like having a having a specialist who can who can change the game with you know pinning people like he does with ease every time. Um, if you have that consistently in your book, you know, for, especially for. NFL coaches, you'd probably trend more conservative, like just knowing that you can do something a little extra on third down because you have that for fourth down in your pocket if you absolutely need it and you can't get your play. Like I almost feel like punter now with the precision and the absolute like ridiculous uh, you know numbers that these guys can put up with consistency uh, more than just booting it high um, and letting the guys get down there almost makes. And again, I'm very biased because I've been loving everything Michael Dixon did this year. But I think it almost makes it a little bit of an X factor. And I think GMs are probably in the same boat where it's like, how much value do you give that? Right? Do you hope he just drops and you can get him at the end of the you know the second or third day or whatever, and you just you, you scoop up what you can, or do you really do you really say, ah, how do I value a punter over you know this this inside linebacker who could in two years hit for it? It's got to be an incredibly diff- difficult calculus. Well, I'll tell you how you don't do it. You don't do what Tampa Bay did a couple years ago when they drafted, traded up for Roberto Aguayo in the second round. That's not how you value a specialist. Um, But, I mean, it's a good point and a good debate. You get to the third day and your general expectation on all these guys is they're going to be depth and they're going to be special teamers. So if you got a core special teamer and he just happens to kick the ball as a kicker or a punter and you can envision him being an X-factor, round four is probably the earliest I would ever go. You know, if I were I were making decisions, but round four, round five, that's where you're expecting to get special teams players on your team. So you might as well go out and get the best right. one if you need one. We we would be remiss if we didn't ask you. Um, you know, we we do have a little bit of OU uh, bias or maybe salt here based on last few years, and you uh, have Baker Mayfield as your top quarterback, and so that's that's just a question I feel like we have to ask while we've got you. Uh, you know, that is not the case for a lot of of analysts and people that are scouting. So what, you know, what do you think makes Baker the top guy in this class, and and why do you see him as the top guy in your board? Yeah, it got real warm in here real quick. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as Baker. Um, I would say this. Uh, I watched Baker in the summer beforehand, and I gave him late day two, early day three valuation before the before his senior season. And then he comes out, and he lost Samaj P. Ryan, Joe Mixon, D.D. Westbrook, three main weapons on offense, and just totally a different stratosphere of a player. And I was super impressed with his ability to put the entire offense on him. The only guy he brought back was Mark Andrews, really. Everybody else was super young. And uh, despite the fact that he's playing in this spread system, this, this spread offense here, I saw precision with the ball placement. I saw the ability to throw into holes against zone coverage. And I saw anticipation. Anticipation was the big thing that really jumped off for me that I didn't really see beforehand from, from Mayfield in 2015, 2016, his first couple of years there at Oklahoma. So the ability to pull the trigger on the throw while the receiver has not gotten his eyes back around and isn't even into his break yet because you understand all the moving parts 
And the fact that he can do that with poise and composure under pressure and how tough he is. You know, he took that hit against Texas this year. And, I, you know, you thought he popped his shoulder out. And he, he stayed in. He couldn't throw the ball all week but the, before the next game against Kansas State. And then he goes out. He didn't throw until warm-ups that day and threw for 450 yards against Kansas State, which is one of the better defenses in the Big 12. So um, I was just really impressed with the development that he brought on to himself as a player when the conditions demanded it from him. I think he meets all the requisite you know, traits that I need as far as ball placement skills and uh, the arm strength ability, and I love his ability to stay composed, extend plays, and, and make good decisions with the football. And we won't hold any of that against you. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Thank you. you I know, appreciate that. Having to see him for a couple years, uh, we saw that too, saw a lot of that, and, and he really just um, – you know, I, I never am going to go out of my way to wish for a Sooner to have success, but I think we're going to watch Baker Mayfield have a successful career in the NFL. And I think I was reading something you put out where he's not um, the next Johnny Manziel. He has he has some tools that really, truly translate really well. And I think that's probably not a lazy comparison, but a very easy comparison to say kind of Big 12 Texas kid, like hot, you know, had a little bit of the hot-headed streak, uh, was mobile. But I think you also pointed out, not a scrambler first, right? Yeah, he when he was on the move, he was on the move to throw. He was looking to extend plays to throw first. And uh, that, that that designation, people will point to the plays of which he's running around the pocket like a chicken with its head cut off. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah you know, he can't win that way. But yeah. you, know, you see Russell Wilson do it. And, and that's, I mean, Baker is, to a little bit of a lesser degree, a comparable strengths and weaknesses style player. His arm's not as strong as Russell Wilson's. Uh, his athleticism's not as strong as Russell Wilson's, but the ability to extend within the pocket and that willingness to play a little loose while you're doing that is an element of his game that reminds me of Russell Wilson's. And I think the the other thing is I, I I hate this term, but he's just he's got that it factor. He's got that thing where you want the ball in his hands with a game on the line, and and again that's a that's a Russell Wilson trait, and I think that's a, that's such a perfect comparison. I was I was just gonna say if Baker Mayfield was my quarterback, I would go running through brick walls for him. You know, I know some people find his personality kind of abrasive, but. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know I am a little abrasive as well, a little chip on my shoulder. Uh, I'd like to think I I do a good job at what I do and like to you know chirp back at people if they tell me that, uh, oh, you know, you're stupid. You didn't do any research on this article that you just wrote. And it's like, well, you know, I get paid to do this. So I guess I'm doing something right. Understandable. Yeah. Well, the 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 major hope is that uh, he can, if he does have to have a great NFL career, that he can have the same Russell Wilson trajectory and lose heartbreakingly in a Super Bowl. Oh, so geez. We could. <laughs> we can all wish. I mean, he's still got there. We're not wishing evil on him. Well, he is going to the Jets, so they <laughs> that we do have that as Dolphins fans. We do have that going for nice. us. That that would feel that'd feel great. I, I'd be in a weird position as a, I've seen him a couple Dolphins projections for him, and that would all that'd be put me in a weird spot to have <laughs> yes. Tannehill and Baker Mayfield as as Yikes. quarterbacks for my. I do want to ask real quick, because I know you've put an unbelievable amount of work in the prospectus, and I, it seems like you probably sure. turn it out, and you have to take at least some time off before you get into the next years. Have you looked at all at any of the guys who are who are you know going to be in the 2019 draft class, or is that like, hey, give me give me two months, man, let me get this done, and then we'll see? Well, I would say I would say I know a decent amount about. I don't want to say a ton sure. of names, but you know, I was on the road. I was on the road 15 okay. weeks this year, going two games across country and. Uh, went as far west as, as uh, Phoenix and, and Tucson, did a doubleheader out there in Arizona for Arizona and Arizona State in September. 
uh, went as far south as uh, Miami for a game in 2016. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been all over the place. So I have a, a good vibe living the life on the road during the college football season that, that I've, I feel like I've got a decent vibe on some names. Is there anyone, um, you know, as Texas fans, we get pretty deep on this. We're looking at, you know, high school freshmen thinking about how they're going to protect. Oh, yeah. But, you know, like uh, we have a pretty feel for this team. Is there anyone, and maybe this is a better thing is to have you say, is there anyone you've heard about on this Texas team? Guys aren't coming out this year, but just names like a Chris Boyd or a Charles Omenahu or, or any of those who it's like, hey, we're, there's some buzz, there's some, some feel around there for these guys next year. I don't know if necessarily anybody stands sure. out to me for Texas. Um, I will say you guys are going to have your hands full with Will yeah, definitely in West Virginia this yep. year. The kid's a stud. Um, so he, he's a fun one I'm looking forward to watch. I think the, the Big 12 in general, it's going to be yeah. interesting though, right? Because you've got a lot of upheaval. From from I mean Oklahoma State, you know, uh, James Washington's not there anymore. Mason Rudolph's not there anymore. Uh, West Virginia was fortunate enough to dodge the bullet and have have all their guys come back. They didn't have any guys declare early. Uh, Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield gone. So uh, I think this will be a good year for Texas as as they look to continue to to work this reclamation project and get this program turned back around. This is going to be a big opportunity for them to really make a push. And it was nice to see them make the bowl game and have success with that. And, you know, because it's, I think, I believe it was the only bowl game that the seniors of this, this, this past year had ever played in, which, I mean, for Texas, that's, that's first of all, not acceptable. You know, is you guys are Texas, you gotta make some bowl games. So, uh, I think they're heading the right direction. It'll be good year for them this year. Well, we appreciate you listening to our podcast because we've been saying the same all year. So, <laughs> well, you mentioned Will Greer. That is the uh, that is the most fortuitous injury I think Texas fans have seen in a very long time. I I cringed, you know, looking at that finger coming out there there sideways like that, and you know. Uh, that was a tough one for sure. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. Where can where can our listeners uh, interact with your content uh, online? Yeah, yeah, you can swing over to ndtscouting.com. Uh, we've got a lot of great stuff coming up. we got the draft stream coming up here. Uh, four nights, one and two of the NFL draft, so we'll be back on the live stream for video content as well. You can find that at ndtscouting.com or fanragsports.com. We have a working relationship with them. They, they've really given us some really solid infrastructure to make sure that our voices get out there, and we're very thankful for that. And uh, if you're interested in a draft podcast, we got one called The Draft Dudes, me and Joe Marino. We ham it up just like you guys do Texas football, but it's 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 NFL draft, so we have a good time with it. And uh, make sure you stop by NDT Scouting on uh, Twitter and uh, give me some grief for my mock draft uh, that, that came out, and I got one more coming out the, the Monday before the draft itself, so you can tell me how much you hate your uh, your team's pick. We uh, we love it. Thank you so And again, the, the uh, 2018 prospectus is out there for people. If you are into NFL draft scouting at all, it is totally worth the, the, the 20 bucks, which again, skip Starbucks for the week and you can pay for it. It's it's definitely a good, uh, good investment in some good quality content. Kyle, again, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks. Thanks, guys. Let's get back together again soon. We'd love to do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. So quickly moving on, Texas baseball. We talked a bit about it last week. Uh, we said if they came out with, with two of the four against A&M and OU and maybe took the series against uh, OU, we'd be uh, happy people. And that's exactly what happened. So uh, Texas 
fell into a late hole early against A&M and wasn't able to battle back all of the way. They did, however, battle back on both Friday and Saturday games, fell into a hole and topped OU to, top, to for a day at least, take the Big 12 lead, uh, drop the Sunday game uh, to fall back into a tie for the lead in the Big 12 baseball. Uh, Kyle, did what uh, you know? What does that mean for a team as they try to close out a season that may have been a little up and down? Well, I think, like we said, the biggest thing was was getting some some road consistency and getting some uh, some of the play that we've been seeing from the Longhorns at the Dish. Um, and I think you saw that with uh, with what happened in, in Norman. I mean, even even what happened in College Station, I thought they looked good. Um, they showed heart. They didn't quite have enough, but they they battled back to make it interesting um, against a very good A and M team. Um, and then going into um, the house that you know Land Thieves built, they were able to. Uh, able to go and themselves steal two from there, and and again, not with no meaning, but to take hold. Uh, I'll just say this: I was, like I said, in in Vegas this weekend with a whole slew of Longhorns, some who had been following baseball, some who hadn't, and, and someone was like, "I thought we were good this year. Why don't we have a number next to our name?" And I said, "My prediction is if we win, uh, if we win this series, that Texas will will sneak in with like a twenty five next to their name this week. So let's see if I'm right about that." I, I, I think they will. I mean, if OU is ranked and they just topped OU in a in a kind of spectacular fashion, I don't see them being left out of the rankings. They definitely will appear in the others receiving votes. Yeah. Uh, but that brings us to the time of the show where we honor one of our favorite traditions on the 40 Acres, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? You know, I am just uh, overjoyed um, to be able to bring the news that Texas had um, a first-round draft pick, um, and you may be asking yourself if you're not a wonderful fan of sports as, as Gerald and I are and give inclusion to all of the number of sports there, there was a huge draft this week and the WNBA draft um was in was in um Vegas no uh, anyways, uh, the WMA draft was this weekend, so I'm not as good as I seem. And uh, Texas's Ariel Atkins was the fifth, I believe, Longhorn taken in uh, the first round. She was a seventh-round pick to the Mystics. And I'm just thrilled to see, um, you know, a player who looked really good for Texas, who, you know, was there and kind of pushed to what I think is is the new level of Texas and I think kind of laid the vanguard for hopefully what comes after with these next, uh, next rounds and make kind of set the floor of, you know, into the tournament a couple rounds deep that's texas women's basketball and, and hopefully she sets the future in the table for futures to come um i mean she's a three-time all big 12 conference player almost 1500 points um you know just uh just a great longhorn who's gonna have what i'm hoping is a very very successful uh career at the next level so hook them and congratulations to her yeah, you said it. The fifth uh, Texas player to be taken in the first round of the NBA or WNBA uh, draft started in 1999 by Edna Campbell to the Phoenix Mercury, which is probably one of my favorite names in sports. I'm just going to put that out there. Uh, so yeah, I'll big ups to Ariel Atkins. So my uh, my bang the drum this week is about Breck Breck Hager Thor. Whatever you want to call him, his the flowing locks. It's kind of a tradition for Texas players, Texas linebackers to have some flowing locks. And Breck Hager actually has not cut his hair since he arrived on campus in 2015, which, you know what, more power to you, fam. Uh, but he says that he will not cut it 
until Texas wins a Big 12 championship and that Sam Ellinger will cut it on the podium when they claim that trophy. So maybe his parents, his girlfriend, <laughs> maybe hope that they win the Big 12 championship this year or that's going to just continue to Prince Valiant it up down his back. Uh, it's it's. I mean, it's a good look for him. Not many people can rock the long uh, dude hair and he definitely rocks it really well. Oh yeah, Blonde Palomalu is going to have a great year. I'm very excited for that. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I'm not going to say any, uh, any breaking news here on the, on the pod, but you know, did Brecken Hager just name a starting quarterback or is Ellender maybe just his friend? I don't know. We'll see. Uh, they played together in high school. I know they're, they're, uh, they're on that, uh, that Austin Westlake. You heard it here first. I would say, let's just go with it. Let's just, let's just go with it. Now, if he had, he should, he should have said Calvin Anderson. Cause that would probably been like some senior freshman hazing that happened at Westlake, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Thank you guys so much for joining us on the pod this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? I'm on Twitter, uh, at Kyle Carpenter. Um, you can find me um, just, you know, casually recovering from another Vegas trip. Maybe not at Fuddruckers this week, but next week. I'm thinking Fuds. I'm going to come in person um, and get that uh, sponsorship. We haven't got the details, but get that signed off uh, hopefully in person next week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at G.H. Goodridge. Again, follow Kyle Krabs, our guest on Twitter, at NDT Scouting. Big ups to him. Thank you so much. Again, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Longhorn Pod, and always feel free to shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening in. Kyle, what you got? Oh, I was just going to say, I was actually looking at the iTunes reviews, and we have way more five-star reviews than we've given shouts out for. And so I think we need to pick a time on one of these podcasts that aren't 50 minutes long and uh, and give a couple more shout-outs because we said we would do that and we appreciate it. So keep them coming. Uh, any new five-star reviews from, from this point on, you'll get uh, you'll get ahead of the line. So go ahead and leave those, and we will we'll give you a shout-out. Yes, we will. Thank you so much. Leave those reviews. It helps a ton, and we will shout you out on the air. Thank you so much for listening in again this week and until next time hook them hook them